What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Keeping Stock Sneaker Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gray, and this week, we have another interesting episode. But before we get into today's episode, just wanted to do a quick moment of silence for my Oklahoma City Thunder, lost in Game 7 to James Harden, former OKC guard Russell Westbrook, and the Rockets in the bubble. If we're being blunt, I think there's a lot of expectations, a lot of things to say about the Oklahoma City Thunder this year, a lot to say about the ending of that game, but I'm going to keep it short. We weren't supposed to make the playoffs by a lot of predictions, and we were a fifth seed, took the Rockets to seven games, more likely than not should have won that seventh game, but a very promising young future for the Oklahoma City Thunder. We'll see what happens with Chris Paul or what we pick up in the offseason, but it exceeded my expectations. Now, with all that being said, this week, we're going to take a look at how and why signature sneakers have shaped the NBA and changed the landscape of the game. As always, Keeping Stock is uploaded every Sunday on your favorite podcast platform, so make sure to follow and subscribe on the platform you're listening to, and let's get into it. So, signature sneakers are becoming bigger and bigger than ever. We're seeing more and more of them, to which we think we're seeing more of. And in the NBA, we're seeing the same trends alongside what players are wearing on their feet. When you look at the NBA, realistically, there's somewhere between 400 and 450 active players in the league. That means they're on the bench, they have the ability to play, and that means that they have some sort of performance basketball shoe on. When you dive further into that, out of the 400 to 450 players, realistically, there's about 16 brands. And we all know the well-known brands such as Reebok, Q4, And1, 361 Degrees, Puma, or Curious are some of the 16 brands represented in the league that you may have just heard about today. And so you can see there is some sort of diversity occurring within the NBA as the market is growing, there's a global audience, more and more brands have the ability to enter the space and perform at a high enough level to produce these type of basketball shoes for an NBA player. As you go further down from 400 to 450 players, around 16 or so brands, there's only 17 to 20 players who have their own signature sneaker within the NBA. And you can think of some of those signatures off the top of your head. Some have been around for decades. Some are relatively new across brands. As of March in the 2020 season, the top brands, according to Baller Shoes Database, which is a great website if you're looking for figures and analytics in regards to the NBA and what's on players' feet, they do a great job of keeping up to date there, providing some information behind it. But the top five sneakers worn on court were the Kobe 4 Protro, the Zoom Freak 1, Giannis's shoe, the KD 12, the Kyrie 5, and then the Kobe AD. And the first thing that probably stands out to you there is those are all Nike athletes, strictly Nike athletes, not Jordan brand, not Adidas, no real diversity happening in the top five. But that is most commonly what's seen on players' feet throughout the year. And you probably are thinking of players who are switching up pretty often, but realistically what those players are switching up is within the same line. Guys who like Kobe's are guys who like Kobe's. Guys who like LeBron's like LeBron's. Those who play in Hyperdunks or those who play in Adidas, 
That's what they're going to go to often. They may switch models or years or colorways. What's more surprising about that top five of this season's NBA shoes seen on court, outside of them all being signature sneakers, is that Kobe and Kyrie actually make up about 50% of what all Nike athletes are wearing in the NBA. So quickly, you can see how signature sneakers are dominating the market. How many players are wearing Kobe's or Kyrie's in any models? That could be the Kyrie 1, the Kyrie 4, the Kobe ADs, retro Kobe's, Kobe 6's. We see that happen all the time. But for it to be half of Nike players really says quite a bit about how the league is shifting to these premier signature sneakers in the league. And not only is it half of Nike players and athletes, but it's one third of the league overall wears Kobe's or Kyrie's, which is absurd. Out of 400 to 450 players, a third of them are wearing two signature sneakers from two athletes. When you break it down, it's roughly 103 Kobe's are worn this season. And about 57 Kyrie's have been worn, according to Baller Shoes Database, which that Kobe number may have spiked due to the tragic events of his passing. But historically, Kobe's been a solid line. He's been very hands-on with the performance and what he wants out of the shoe, and that reflects in what other players want as well. Overall, even though Kobe and Kyrie make up a third of all Nike athletes' footwear and one-third of the league, 69% of the league is in Nike. So every seven out of 10 players is wearing a Nike model of some regards. And you can tell by these numbers that that's most likely going to be a signature sneaker. That could be Paul George. That could be Giannis. That could be LeBron. In comparison, we'll look at Nike's competitor, Adidas. Between Harden, Damian Lillard, and Derrick Rose, being at the top of Adidas roster this year and on-court appearances for their footwear, they total 22 different players. And if you forgot, 103 players wore Kobe's or 57 players wore Kyrie's as opposed to the 22 from Adidas top three at the moment. And yes, they have rising stars in Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell, but that's something that'll be reflected next year in the numbers. But the question is, why is there such a shift to signature sneakers? What happened to the team shoes trend of the 90s, the 2000s? And what you have to look at is, what is a signature sneaker, right? It's not just a sneaker for LeBron or just for Kyrie. It's made with them in mind, but it's also a way for Nike or Adidas or Converse, Reebok, whoever it may be, to showcase their premium materials. All of that research and development is going into these products, these signature namesake products, to sell at those higher prices. There's an absurd amount of research and development that goes into creating a shoe for the likes of LeBron James, players of that size, that speed, that game style, those archetypes. And so that when they come out, it's not just specifically LeBron who is utilizing that shoe. It's other bigger players or players of his style. And that's why we see in some editions, you see highs and lows. Some players really like low tops, some like mids, some like highs. When you look at the Nike line who's dominating, almost all of their signature lines 
come in a high or a low in some regards. And then you look at pricing strategies when you're looking within a signature sneaker. We'll look at Nike again here, for example, just because they're leading the market. I know other competitors are doing well. Under Armour's on the come up. They just signed Curry to that potential signature line delineating from the brand, but we'll stick with Nike. There is an obvious difference to an NBA player. We're not talking about the local guy who plays at your LA fitness, who shows up and plays once or twice a week, jogs halfway up and down the floor, can't make a 15 footer and his purpose for the game, as opposed to your Anthony Davises or your Kawhi's or Paul George, Luca, etc., and the way that they're playing. Nike has the $70 air precision, affordable, easy to go after, probably mass-produced materials will hold up for that style of very loose, casual play that is being found at a 24-hour fitness for guys who have been enthusiasts about basketball. Then you look at the middle of the line, the PG4s, $110, the Kyrie's, the Giannis's in that middle of the pack, anywhere from $100 to $130. You can see a definite boost in materials, composition, structure, features that were thought about going into these signature sneakers for those players. Then you have the premier signature sneakers in some regard, and you look at what LeBron is doing or the Jordan 34 Those are $180, $200, $220. That's the top of the line materials being utilized for these shoes that eventually, once made to scale, you'll see in other silhouettes down the line. But you look at this pricing strategy, you have $70 for a meh, an all right shoe, $110 for a pretty solid, sturdy shoe at all levels, and then the premier shoe at $200 and $220. You're looking at the Goldilocks strategy right? Three prices. One is too hot or too cold, and one's right in the middle, that Goldilocks zone. And a lot of signature sneakers now are finding themselves in that fair price range for mass production and consumption by consumers, which leads them. And how are they finding the product? Is through these namesake players. So you look at signature lines and kids don't want the $70 shoe. They can't afford the $200 shoe. They pick either a hyper dunk or they pick a signature Kyrie or Paul George, one of their favorite players, they're going to pick that shoe. In your metrics, you're going to see more people are going towards these signature shoes than these team shoes, so to speak. And now the signature field is so diverse, even though it is only 17 to 20 players, you have shoes for guards. You look at Kyrie's, you look at Curry's, Converse, Then you have the power forward, small forward type of role that has been now suited by the likes of what they're doing with Giannis's shoe, who is a freak athlete, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden. And then you have your new generation bigs in the likes of LeBron or Chris Stapps, Nurkic, who are more agile and stepping outside to 15 to 18 footers or shooting from three. Shoes are made for all types of players now because all of those signature players are those players. So it's easy for someone like Nurkic to say, you know, maybe the Giannis doesn't fit me. I'm going to switch over to a LeBron. Or it's easy for a player like Donovan Mitchell before his signature shoes say, me and Lillard have a similar body type. I might like these shoes. And you can see that trend 
further and further into why signature sneakers are dominating in the NBA. Other subliminal factor that's happening is as the NBA is getting younger and younger, these players have been playing in signature shoes their whole careers. From your elite AAU organizations, the EYBL, Adidas Grassroots, Under Armour Circuit, they're playing in the signature sneakers provided to them by those circuit companies. Nike is doing their Kobe's, Paul George's, KD's, LeBron's, Kyrie's in EYBL colorways. Then they go on to college. They go to a Nike college. University of Oregon is getting specific colorways in the Giannis, the KD, Kyrie, whatever it is. And so now you've gone at least two stages, not saying your team wasn't sponsored in high school, playing in these shoes. And now you're no more comfortable to where you get to the NBA and you say, I'm not going to wear just regular hyperdunks. I never liked them. I'm going to wear a signature. And that's the way you go about it. And that's where a little interesting things on court start to happen. LeBron always looked at Michael Jordan and noticed when Michael Jordan was playing, guys were wearing Jordans against Jordan. And LeBron thought to himself, MJ had a mental edge over those guys, he was quoted once saying. And he goes on record further to say, if you're going to go get a new pair of shoes, you play us on a Tuesday night and you go to a Foot Locker and pick up a pair of LeBrons, I have to bust your ass. I think it's simple as that. If another player is wearing your shoes in the confidence and ego that's brought up as you get to the level of the NBA in yourself, you're not going to let some other dude clown you in your own signature sneakers, right? And that's LeBron's outlook on it. And that can kind of dwindle down to early on in the 90s, Pat Riley didn't allow Heat players to wear Jordans against Jordan. And Nick DePaul of ESPN goes further into this, which the article is linked down below from a few years ago, talking about how Paul Pierce dismissed teammates from wearing LeBrons when LeBron played. CP3 said recently to Lou Dortz, you probably shouldn't be wearing Hardens since that's your matchup. Nurkic and LeBron. Nurkic has historically wore LeBrons. During the recent series, he switched out of them every now and again. Does it really cause an advantage or disadvantage? No one really knows. Depends on what type of player you are and what you get motivated by. At the end of the day, you can use it as an advantage or a disadvantage. Or you can just be thankful. Lillard, Kyrie, KD are all guys who have been on record to say, how blessed they are to have a signature sneaker and the opportunity for other elite players in the world to wear their shoes on TV on a night-by-night basis. That's something they never would have dreamed of as kids. And we continue to see this popularity grow in signature sneakers. We get to see more individuality since the color restrictions have been dropped. As we move forward, we'll see what happens as some of these signature lines or these players may be out in the next three to five years. And now we get a new selection of signature sneakers from up-and-comers. But at the end of the day, a shoe's just a shoe. If it fits you right, you're going to wear it. And I hope you guys enjoyed this segment of today's episode. Go ahead and let me know what signature sneakers out there you really like or what signature sneakers you are very disappointed in. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Interaction's been extremely nice on social media and the direct messages I've been getting. So I'm very thankful for your guys' support. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back with some cool content and upcoming releases. So, some cool content. Super quick hitters right here. John Morant, Rookie of the Year. Makes sense. I mean, he played majority of the season. Unfortunately, Zion was injured. You can compare numbers, but I think the reason why Jaw won 99-1 to was how he put Memphis on the map. How he showed up big throughout different times in the season, remained healthy, and it would be unfair to give it to Zion 
unfortunately, who was injured. You know, that's not Zion's choice, but it's just kind of how it rolled out and how strong Memphis played towards the end of the year and almost made the playoffs. In addition, we saw OG Ananubi hit a game winner against the Celtics, which he just calmly walked off the court. And my perspective of that is he hit the game winner, but the Raptors were down 2-0, so it wasn't like they won the series, like we won a game, but we're still down 2-1. And realistically, when you hit a game winner in most cases, you shouldn't have won the game. Something slipped up in the past five or six minutes where the other team couldn't separate, or you made some a lot of errors early on to get in the game, and maybe that's the case. But Celtics-Raptors series turning out very interesting, along with the Heat in the Bucks series, where Jimmy Butler is winning on zero second free throws at the end of the game. But the wildest piece of content I saw this week was a man in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a group of his friends used a stolen university card to purchase $250,000 worth of sneakers. That's over 565 pairs that they bought. You have to be an idiot to do this on a stolen university card and not think you're going to get caught. This man is now going to face four years in prison. I don't know why you'd, first of all, go about doing that in three weeks. Someone's going to notice. Second of all, where you thought you were going to end up with this? Like, everyone was just going to be like, all right, cool. Nice sneakers, dude. Give us the card back. At this point, four years in prison, a moderate sentence. Just not very intelligent on his end to do so. Now, with that being said, we're going to hop into our upcoming releases. All right, upcoming releases for the 6th through the 12th. And I forgot to mention at the start of this episode... I scored on the Union 4s. I thought it was going to be impossible. If you go back past three or four episodes, I've been talking about how difficult it's going to be to grab. And luckily, I grabbed the black pair. They did a great job against bot protection. Got it on manual, which I always use on my phone, a few minutes late to the release. So very excited about that. But now, the 6th through the 12th, we see Prada and Adidas Superstar. High-end to get that high-end luxury market. Basically, it's just a superstar with Prada flapped on the sign and maybe slightly nicer materials. In my opinion, $450 for that is very steep for the lack of innovation or color or unique colorways here. $450 for a superstar, not my cup of tea. Then we get the Puma Cell Method for in First Mile collab for September 10th. That comes out in four colorways. We get the Nike ISPA Overreact Shadow Berries. Very unique silhouette, looks super comfortable. Curious how they fit and what they look like on feet, but a very unique looking shoe coming out on the 10th. We also get the Nike Dunk Low Community Garden and Lemon Wash on the 10th. Continuing to see Dunks rise and rise, make it an undefeated dunk here shortly. Um, These Community Gardens are going to be $100. After that, we move into the Air Jordan 1 High Zoom Space Hippie, also known as the Crater, made out of recycled trash and garbage in a very neutral colorway. I like this Jordan one. I'm not going to be going after it, but I do like this colorway, especially with the zoom in the Jordan one. I really want to get my hands on a zoom one. Just there's a competing release coming out and that's the Air Jordan 5 in the Oregon colorways that I am really looking to try to grab, see if I'm able to. That Jordan 5 Oregon comes out on the 12th. Then we also see the Nike Air Max one hyper pink and followed by the Adidas Yeezy Boost 380 Pepper. Honestly, 380 silhouette, as you guys know, is not for me. Once again, looks very similar to other colorways, but that comes out on the 12th. 
And as always, the Yeezy Boost 380 will be $220. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow on your favorite platforms. Follow me on social. Let me know what releases you're going after or what signature sneakers you enjoyed or who you think is going to win the NBA championship. Unfortunately, not my thunder, but maybe next year we'll get to it. With all that being said, I appreciate your time and I'll catch you next week.